listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Love to invite you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Last week, we opened up and we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. We saw that Peter was reminding his exiles of their identity. And Peter's going to do this over and over and over again. But it's also our identity. And Christians, believers, he identified them as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, where he says, you are mine. It doesn't matter what you haven't accomplished or what is going on. God says you are mine and nothing changes that. But then Peter, because of our identity in Christ, says he gave us three things. We are to act as aliens, that this world is not our home and we should live that way. Then we are to, you remember this one? Mm. We're to fight as warriors, if you're wondering what's going on, you go listen to last week's podcast. We talked about how we are to fight, we are to defend off the things that go against God's commands. And then we are to live as representatives of God. So this morning, Peter's going to start a brand new section in his book. He's about to enter into a very practical, hands-on, real-life Okay, if that is true, now how do we live that? And he's going to talk for several weeks now about how we live this out. But to be honest, you're probably not going to like this morning very much. Because what Peter is going to do, he's going to challenge us to do something or to be something that doesn't come natural. In fact, we're going to read some things and we're going to go, man, that doesn't even seem humanly possible because Peter is going to be calling us to what is a supernatural life. In fact, Peter is going to talk of the side of Christianity, the side of following Christ, I think, that is often neglected and is neglected too many times. And I believe that is because it makes us uncomfortable. You can turn on your TV, you can turn on your radio, and there's a lot of talk about God blessing and we affirm that. There's a talk about God is good, and we affirm that. But what Peter is going to address this morning is something from a different angle, a different side of grace. But if we are truly serious about following Christ, he's going to call us to look at things from a very unnatural outlook. Because at the core, Christianity is a calling. We saw last week, he calls us out of darkness. He makes us a people for his own possession. But Christianity is a calling to a supernatural life of suffering. Peter's going to drive home today as Christians that we have a calling on our lives to suffer. And it gets worse, to suffer unjustly. So church this morning, hear me clearly that Christians are called to suffer and at times, suffer unjustly. Peter will call us this morning to something that naturally would say, no, there's no way that can be. There's no way that that will ever be me. But Peter's going to show us, but because of the one that went before us, 
That is the only way we can live this supernatural life. So here's our bottom line this morning. Christianity is not merely a rule to be followed. But, it is an ex- but it's a miracle to be experienced. A grace to be received. So let's unpack these real life examples this morning. That Christians are called to suffer. And at times suffer unjustly. So you have your scripture listed here for your bulletins. You can see we've got a lot of text to cover this morning. But beginning at verse 13, he gives us our first real life example. He says, be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that doing good you should be put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So the first real life example is how Christians, followers of Christ, are to live as in reference to the human governments that are over us and around us. And as Christians, we are to submit to the human institution of government. Peter wants to make sure, he wants to make sure that we know that ultimately we are doing this unto the Lord. Just as any work we would do, he tells us you do it for the Lord and for His glory. So he says your obedience to governments is for God's glory. In fact, he says that God has placed human institutions in exactly where He wants. Look at verse 14. Governments are there to punish us for doing good. And to reward us, I mean, punish us for doing wrong and reward us for doing good. So it's like our police system. You know, if I go in and I break into your home and take something, hopefully they will hunt for me. They will search high and low until they find me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to put me on trial. And then I will serve the punishment for those evil acts. It is there to punish evil. But if I'm a law-abiding citizen... They've taken an oath to protect and to serve me. And governments are put in place to reward good and to punish bad. That God has put these governments in place at what we call a common grace. That they are there for the good of all people. So every person, whether they follow Christ or not, they have this grace extended to them. And Peter says to submit to human institutions. He calls them governments. Christians are to submit to the rules and regulations of these institutions that we know according to Scripture, as long as it doesn't contradict what God has said, that we are to live underneath them. But hear me, because these human institutions are approved by our sovereign God, there's good in them. Man, we're here at that season. It's the time, man, it's all over the news. You're getting things every day in the mail about vote for this person. And Man, there's debates going on and everybody's tensions are high. But no matter what happens, God has them there for a reason. No matter how depraved or messed up we may think they are, God is in control of the governments that he has put. You search the scriptures. Three things for you. One, we're to render to Caesar... Our civil obedience, according to Matthew 22. We're to pray for our rulers, Second Tim- or 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're to live honorably and peacefully, according to Romans 13. So 
So Peter starts off something pretty easy. Obey. Obey your governments. Whether you think you agree or not, as long as it doesn't contradict God's word, you know what? (coughs) We are to do and we are to live that way. You might be thinking, okay, not so bad. I pay my taxes. I obey traffic laws most of the time. Um, Get along with my neighbors. I'm a good citizen. But Peter's about to drive things home a little further. Look at verse 16. He says, live. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, what does Peter mean when he says, Live free lives. Live is for people who are free. Because we really like that. that. That sounds good to us. But freedom, let's start with what it's not. Freedom is not a license to go and do whatever you want to do and what pleases you. Freedom is not a right to do whatever makes you happy. But that's how we usually associate freedom. You know, I'm 16 years old. I have a driver's license. I want freedom. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But that is not what Peter is talking about here. Peter is saying that to live as people who are free, that you now have, as a follower of Christ, a liberty or a freedom to live, and he says at the end of verse 16, to live as a servant of God. Because before your conversion, before your heart is changed, before you're a follower of Christ, you are only following after darkness and not the things of light. So what is freedom? Freedom is now, talking to those who have believed to the exiles he's writing to, freedom is the ability to follow and to please God. And he says, don't use it for evil things. Don't use your freedom to cover up what you want to do. Don't use this freedom that I'm calling to you to live selfish lives to say, listen, everything is free for me to do. Leave me alone. No, Peter is saying that when before you trust and believed in Jesus Christ, you could only Follow the desires and the sinfulness of your heart. But now you're free to choose things that are pure, things that are holy, things that are upright. So I think this is what Peter is saying. I think he's saying, you know what? You are now free to lose and to give up your rights. You are free to to give up your rights and to lose because you now have God's favor. You're free to submit because you have God's favor. You are free to show mercy in all your relationships. You are free to not demand that others treat you well because God has treated you well in the gospel. Okay, so Peter talks about governments to live underneath those. They're there for a reason. Follow them. But then he's beginning to talk about some things that don't come quite as natural. Naturally, we want What makes us happy, we want to fill our own desires and we want to do whatever it is that brings me pleasure. But Peter's showing us that this idea of Christianity is not normally a rule to be followed, but it's a miracle to be experienced. Look at verse 17. Four commands now. Let's break them down. Verse 17 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. All right, first one, honor everyone. So Christians are to honor who, kids? Everyone. Yes, that means your nosy neighbor. That means your mother-in-law. You know, it means that boss that doesn't get it. There isn't anyone. As believers, we are to honor everyone. 
one. He doesn't leave anybody out. He says everyone. So why would Peter do this? Why would Peter say that we as believers are to honor everyone? That's because if you dishonor anyone, it doesn't matter whether you think you're justified in the way you're treating them or not, but everyone is created in the image of God. Whether they realize it or not, they may not realize it all. They may think there are somebody that is just born to chance and they're one of seven billion people and they're just in this world to gain whatever they can to enjoy life and then that is just it because they haven't realized that they are created in the image of the Most High God. And God says, Christian, you are to honor everyone because they are all created in my image. Man, what a great reminder to think, man, every time I'm tempted to lash out or to get upset with another person, even if I feel justified, that I am to honor everyone because they are created in the image of God. And he says, love the brotherhood. And he's talking about inside the church. And man, it's great to think, man, this morning I've heard several times talking about people and man, how we are learning to love each other well. We're learning to care for one another. We are learning to put up with each and everyone's failings, and to work through problems. And that's exactly what Peter says, that you should be a people that you are identifiable by the love that you have for one another. And he says, let that be an example to those that are outside the church to see the unity that you have because of your faith. And I'm with Peter so far, I'm thinking, okay, well, I can do better at honoring everyone. Loving the brotherhood, okay, I've got, you know, I, I want to do that well. Then he says, fear God. The fear here is that we should have the highest form of reverence that you could possibly imagine that we are to have for God's majesty. That we are to see him, we're to love the things he loves, we're to hate the things we, that he hates. We are to have a firm belief in his purity and his power and his justice. We're to understand that what happens is that we are against God and we are under his wrath. But through Christ, he provides <coughs> a way to have that removed. And I'm with Peter. I get those. I get behind those. But it's this last one. Three simple words. Honor the emperor. Peter's not talking about the emperor and just somebody in charge, somebody that is king. He's talking about Nero. Nero is an evil, uh, an evil leader. There's probably just killed Paul. He's beginning to, to take people's lives without any repercussions. And we're thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, no, that's a man that needs to be taken out, Lord. But Peter says, honor the emperor. I mean, I can imagine this kind of set people back on their heels and go, whoa, whoa, Peter. Are, you mean that? You mean Nero, the one that we're afraid of, the one that we are terrified, the one that took our beloved Paul's life? We're to honor him? Because our first response is, Peter, man, that's just something that doesn't come natural. That does not even seem human. And Peter says, I know. He says, I know because God is calling you to something that is supernatural. He is calling you to something that is far beyond who you think you are. You know, the Bible never suggests that rulers will be perfect. 
We will have people in power that are not perfect. And our submission is not conditioned by our government or our rulers modeling Christian values and reflecting Christian morality. That's not what our obedience is built upon. So Peter is saying even an evil emperor like Nero is underneath God's guiding hand. And Peter is talking of a life that now is naturally beyond us. He is talking of a supernatural life as a Christian. So Peter's now going to move to the most unnatural aspect of following Christ. He's going to begin talking about the idea that we are called to suffer and to suffer unjustly. But the beauty is that at the end of it, we're going to see that Christianity is not merely a rule to be followed, but a miracle to be experienced. Begin in verse 18, (coughs) the next section. Servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. So what's he talking about as a servant or a slave? Well, this word <coughs> refers to kind of a, a household, a common servant. And, and the word slave could be used. And scholars estimate that at this time, there were over 60 million servants or slaves in the Roman Empire. Some were household servants. They would come to this position in a lot of ways. Some were captured in war. Some were kidnapped. Some were born into families. Some people even sold themselves or gave themselves to servanthood because they were starving and needed a way to provide for themselves. Some people did all kinds of things when you research it. Some did very ordinary household chores of cooking and, and taking care of the homes. But you know what? Some, it even says that they served in teaching children, served as doctors, musicians, artists. And some could even have their own servants. So it's important to make sure that we don't take our understanding of of, uh, a modern-day United States and looking back and thinking, oh, that's exactly like it was. No, yes, there were some people that were treated poorly. But there were also some people that were treated very well, and they were even like family members. So what Peter is doing here, I believe he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor. That people are coming and they're looking and they're searching and they're finding these groups of people that are living lives that they want to know what's going on. Or they're hearing the gospel, they're responding, and they're attaching themselves to this group of people. And Peter's saying, you know what, church, there are people that are going to be coming into here. They're coming into your, your fellowship. They're coming into your church. And we need to make sure that we are careful to show respect to our masters regardless of whether they are good And gentle or even just. Because Peter is saying, listen, the Christian life is a supernatural life. And it will seem strange to people. Because he's calling us to suffer. He says whether they're good or gentle or whether they are unjust. But in our human minds, they seem to, at least mine does, it seems to stop and to say, but you don't get it. I mean, that's not fair. I mean, to suffer... But then to suffer when it isn't fair, that just doesn't seem right. But once again, Peter's not talking about what makes sense to us. He is not talking about what seems fair. He's talking about what is Christ-like. 
If you're a Christian this morning, God has called you, and I hope we understand this, that God has called you to suffer unjustly. It's going to happen. He says, you know what? If you follow me, you are to follow me, and you are to suffer at times, and you are to do it without bitterness and revenge or even a desire to want to hurt back. And naturally and humanly, we think there is no way that I could ever do that. And you're absolutely right. That is because deep down we feel our anger is justified by the wrongs and the evil it's done for me. Just the other week, Marla stopped me. She said, why are you so angry? Man, where do you want me to start? My kids won't obey. Nobody understands what I do. This person cut in front of me. We're going to have to pay more taxes than we've ever paid this year. I mean, I just had a list of the things and why I was angry. What am I doing? I'm trying to justify that my lashing out is justified by the things that have happened to me. Because in all of us, there is this automatic and, and deeply rooted sense that when I've been mistreated or let down or hurt, then the other person deserves to be shown up or brought to justice or paid back. Therefore, I have the right to do whatever to make sure that happens. And I can use criticism and slander and put-downs and threats. And I can hold grudges to make sure that they get their due. And that's how we live. But what if? What if we were able to say, yes, I've been unjustly hurt. I've been let down. I have been mistreated. And yes, they deserve to be brought to justice and rebuked. But no, I will not be bitter. I will not retaliate. I will not criticize or slander. I will return good for evil. And I will bless rather than curse. And doesn't it seem, I mean, doesn't that just feel unnatural? That's exactly because Peter's going to show us now how this is only a super natural response look at the last five or six verses beginning in verse 19 for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows or pain or suffering while suffering unjustly for what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it you endure but when you do good and suffer for it You endure it. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For it is this that you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled he did not revile in return. And when he suffered he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might uh, die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. But now you return to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. So Christian, when you do right, you know what? You're going to suffer. And when you do right, You'll be criticized. When you do the right thing, things sometimes won't get better. When you do the right thing, sometimes someone's going to hurt you. When you do the right thing, people will not even notice. And it might even go unappreciated. 
Because the Christian life is not built on karma. Our calling, our calling is to be misunderstood. It's call, a calling to be criticized. It's a calling to be ignored. It's a calling to be hurt for doing what is right and to not return hurt for hurt. That is our calling. But how is it possible? I want to look back at those verses and uh, I've kind of noticed there are three things that, that Peter hits on when talking how, how, do we, how do we live a life that says, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing and it's going to be times that I'm going to suffer and I will suffer unjustly. But how do you do it and not return hurt? How do you do it without criticism? How do you do it without holding a grudge? Look at verse 19. The first thing I think he says is to be mindful of God. You know, this supernatural response only happens, I think, Peter's saying, when we are mindful of God, when we are conscious of Him. It happens when we include God in the equation of our relationships. The only way that you can endure unjust suffering is to begin by being mindful of God. Not only are we to be mindful of Him, look at verse 20. Because I think Peter hits it a great encouragement. We are to be mindful of God even in our suffering. That God, I'm thinking of you. I'm trying to focus on you. And as you do that, he says in verse 20, that God is mindful of you. That when you suffer, even unjustly for God, when you don't repay evil with evil, it says it's a gracious thing in the sight of of God. Meaning God is watching everything you do. He is listening to every thought you have. And when you endure suffering because of your relationship with Jesus, God is keeping track of each and every time. And I begin studying that word where it says gracious. Jesus uses that same word several times in the New Testament. And it's used with the, the idea of reward. That God is watching each and everything that you do. When you suffer unjustly, he says, you know what? I'm taking note of that. I'm taking note of that. Ooh, I, I heard what you did there. Ooh, I heard how you held back those thoughts. I heard how you held your tongue. I saw how you endured. And I am keeping track in each and every one of those moments. So we're to be mindful of God. And at the same time, know he is mindful of you. And then I think the second thing, look at verse 21. I would say it this way. It says, follow Christ. The more you realize what Christ did, the more you will follow his example. So the first thing he tells us is that Christ came as an example. He came so you could follow in his step. But he didn't come just as an example. He came as a substitute. When Christ suffered, you know what? He was standing in my place. When he was bearing your sins... And that condemnation that was yours, he took it away from you. So the suffering that you and I experience, you know what? You need to remind yourselves, it is no longer the condemnation for my sins. But really, it could be a correction. It could be to get our attention. It could be uh, trying to discipline us. But the things happening to me are no longer the condemnation of God. I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, the second thing I see is that Jesus did not suffer. As I think a lot of times we can think, you know what, Jesus suffered so I don't have to. 
And yes, that is true, talking about the condemnation. that All of God's wrath that was coming for me was poured out on His Son. He drank that cup. He gives me His righteousness. So why did Christ suffer? He suffered for that, but He also suffered to show me how to take it. Jesus died, and He suffered for you in order that you would know how to suffer like Him. Because when you look to Jesus... No one has or ever will suffer as unjustly as he did. The only perfect man who ever lives, he was mistreated by listeners, slandered by enemies, forsaken by his family, betrayed by friends, abandoned by his disciples, tortured by law enforcers, and executed by politicians. The only one in history that could ever have the right to lodge a complaint, he remained silent. The only man that could ever have called on God to judge his enemies uh, quietly endured undeserved judgment. And you know what? I have to think. And he did it not for himself, but he did it for you and me. So then the last thing, we are to be mindful of God and know that he is mindful of us. We're to follow Christ's example. We're to think about what he did and how he endured unjustly for us. And then in verse 23, you know what Jesus did? He left it to God. He left it to the Father. Jesus was able to endure that perfect submission. He never once took things into his own hands. He could have called the legions of angels to come and to make things right, to get him down, or to take out anyone that had ever spoken against him. But he handed everything over to God, including himself and those abusing him. And the hurt done and all the factors that made it a horrendous outrageous injustice. He trusted it all to the hands of his father. And he did this. You know what Jesus said? I'll not carry out the burden of revenge. I will not carry out the burden of even sorting out motives. I will hand it all over to God who will one day settle things. Jesus knew that God the Father would one day make things right. So he endures all that. And you know what Jesus does? Then he turns and he says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't even know what they're doing. You know what? Anyone can fight back. But it takes a spirit-led person to submit and let God fight his battles. And I want you to know, for me, that is the hardest thing to do. Man, when I have been wronged or my family has been mistreated, man, I want things to be put right. But to sit back and go, you know what, God, I'm going to leave that in your hands. You know, I can't stress how important I think this truth is for us this morning. That our calling as Christians is a call to suffer and at times suffer even unjustly. This is not a rule to be followed. It's a miracle to be experienced. And why do I feel that? It's because I believe you can't survive as a friend, as an employee or an employer, as a married couple, as parents, as leaders. You can't survive without this miracle. So how could we experience this? Well, if you see yourself as a Christian or as a gospel being, so a gospel employee, you know what? You're going to experience things that are unfair and unjust. And you might endure some ridicule. Maybe loss of respect, even loss of wages for who you are in Christ. But it's not a lost cause. If you're a parent, 
a gospel parent, you know what? You are going to do countless things for your children. They're going to go unnoticed and unthanked. But you will endure unjust suffering that way. But you know what? It's okay because it's not a lost cause. If you're married, you're a gospel spouse, you're going to love and you're going to serve the other person, and at times you will get nothing back in return. And you're going to suffer, but it's not a lost cause. If you're a student, hopefully you're a gospel student. You know what? You're going to be left out. You may at times be made fun of. There are going to be times that you're an outcast, and you will endure unjustly. But it's not a lost cause. Then you're in relationships and you're a friend. Hopefully you're a gospel friend. That you will do good for others. And you'll be rejected. And you're going to be hurt. But you know what? It's not a lost cause. Because every single form and fashion of suffering is seen by God. And He is glorified when we endure the suffering for His name. So Christianity is not merely a rule to be followed. It's a miracle to be experienced. And you know what? This morning, I'd ask you, do you believe? Do you trust that God sees every wrong done to you? That He knows every hurt. He knows every form of suffering and pain. He knows every motive that you have had. Every circumstance with perfect accuracy. And that one day he will settle all accounts. And I hope you believe that. Because if you believe that, man, if God is, is that real to you, you know what you do? You will hand it over to him. And though nobody in this world may understand the peace that you have or the joy or the freedom, but you will know that the answer is only because of what God has done in your life. So Christianity is not just merely a rule to be followed. It's a a miracle to be experienced. And Peter is calling us to a supernatural life. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be a gospel husband, a gospel wife, and gospel friends, and gospel leaders. And I hope you'll join us over these next several weeks as we begin to journey with Peter. Let's pray. Father, this morning... We're thankful for the opportunity to come together as believers in the heart of this city to make much of you. I pray you would remind us as we go throughout our week that there will be things that happen. There will be sufferings that come into our lives in many different forms. But as Christians, we are called to endure those. We are called to endure them without fighting back, without offering criticism or even harboring hurt feelings, that we are to give all of this over to you, knowing that one day you will make things right. So, Father, help us. Help us to suffer and to suffer well. Man, I know there are several out here today that are suffering from loss of jobs, suffering with ailing parents and spouses, Struggling with just the the issues of parenting. But Father, you have called us. You've called us to suffer. And I pray you will help us to suffer well for your name's sake. And it's in your Son and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.